Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. At Passage to Profit, we're all about the creativity, energy, and excitement that comes from starting your own business. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Well, tonight we're going to do something that's almost never done on radio. We're going to try to put our listeners to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to try to find out why sometimes when I'm trying to sleep, I feel like... I'm being abducted by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually me, by the way. <laughs> so Dr. Dan has the answer. <laughs> we hope. So yeah, with us tonight is going to be Daniel Gardenberg. And he's going to be our guest presenting Sonic Sleep Coach. And then for our pictures this evening, we're going to have Ethan Kaiser at Study Tree. And after that, Arthur Adams, Best Friends Match. But before they join us, we have a very special announcement on our show tonight. We'd like to welcome the New Jersey Technical Council as a new sponsor on Passage to Profit. And New Jersey Technical Council is a great organization in New Jersey that supports entrepreneurs They have lots of great events, and coming up on April 11th, they're going to be sponsoring the New Jersey Venture Conference at the NJIT campus. That's the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And if you want to get there from New York City, all you have to do is go to Penn Station, take the PATH train, get off in Newark, and you'll get right to the conference. If you're in New York and you're looking for funding and you're looking to meet some new investors, this would be a great opportunity for you. And also, NJIT is going to be giving a discount. So just type in Passage to Profit at the online registration. Again, go to the New Jersey Technical Council, njtc.org, and you can register for the conference. Before we get started with the guest in the pictures, we would like to welcome Kange Kanene. Hi, thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, and Kange is going to be participating at the Venture Conference, and tell us about what you're going to be doing there. Um, Well, I'm super excited. This is my first time attending. It's the 22nd Annual Venture Conference conference, as you mentioned. So there's going to be about a thousand attendees. That's a very diverse mix of entrepreneurs, angel investors, VCs, academic business leaders, etc. I'm going to have the opportunity to look at about 44 pitches. So those are founders of startups and um, various different um, disciplines. And then also sit on an investor panel and talk about what different investors look for when investing in entrepreneurs. So very excited to be to be included. So how did you get involved with the Technical Council? I was at an event about a month ago um, where it was a lot of investors from the tri-state area, so Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. And I met Jim, who is the CEO of um, the Tech Council, and we've been in contact since, and he invited me to sit on the panel. You have very impressive credentials. Could you tell us what your education is? Sure. So I studied computer science at the University of Michigan and have an MBA from Stern School of Business at NYU. Wow. So you are really qualified to be on a tech panel (laughs) for sure. It's debatable, but thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So you've judged a lot of entrepreneur contests, pitch contests before. So kind of tell us what are some of the things that you look for? in when you evaluate pitches? The first thing that's important are the founder's team. So do they have domain expertise that's that's credible? So usually you want someone that has the business acumen and someone that has, if it's a tech company, the, the technology acumen. Also looking for um, the, a business model that makes sense. So how are they making money? Is it a way that is scalable? Is it a way that is um, that can catch on quickly? Um, also, are they trying to 
solve a problem that is going to be impactful and something that's easy to explain. Those are some of the top three things I look for. So are these all strictly tech pitches? Do you have any IoT or uh, anything like that? Or is it just apps and software? I've been at competitions where it's hardware and software and also some consumer goods. Uh-huh. But the venture conference pitches are all tech, right? All tech-related, yes. Yeah. And how many pitches are there? 44. Wow. And counting 44 for now, from wow. what I understand. Yeah, so. Is there a prize at the end? There are several prizes. Um, <laughs> prizes, yeah. yeah. Passage to profit. Yeah, that's the biggest prize, obviously. <laughs> um, so the main prize is you have access to all the investors that will be there. There's also an investor dinner that's a little bit more um, intimate. So some of the uh, startups that have the most potential can go to that. And then there are other prizes that um, are still being announced. Some of them are monetary. Some of them are, are other things like um, different services that they can use as startups. And people can still go to this, right? Yeah, you can still sign up um, to attend. The pitch competition is closed for now, from what I understand, because they had um, several applicants. But if you want to just attend, even if you're a founder, it still will be valuable because, again, you can still be around different investors. Well, I think if I had a tech company, I would go to this just to see how it's done. And so I could spend a year preparing for the next one so I could make sure that I got in as a pitch, right? Yeah, and I think it's just really um, valuable to see in a pitch competition the kind of questions that are asked so you understand how investors think about companies and how they can poke holes in it so that whether it's for this conference or even just raising money in general, you know how to be better prepared for that. Yeah, I mean, I've been to the the venture conference uh, many times. And I joined the New Jersey Technic Council when I first started the law firm. And I actually met some of my first clients there. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great opportunity. Uh, At the time, I was really kind of new to the entrepreneurial space. Mm -hmm. And it was a great education for me. And I met so many great people. It was such a different world than the corporate world that I'd been used to. And it was a lot of fun. I felt so energized after the conference and so enthusiastic and so motivated Mm -hmm. that it was just a fantastic uh, experience. And so I recommend it highly to if you haven't been to one of these, you should go. Uh, Typically, they'll have booths that uh, where everybody uh, shows their their project. And so you can go and talk with each uh, individual project and get some information about what they're doing. You can share stories, uh, you can get support, and then you have access to a lot of experts who can give you information about, you know, how they did it and things you should think about as you're trying to grow your business. Yeah, and if you want to meet Richard and myself in person. We're signature sponsors of the event this year, and so we're going to be interviewing the keynote speaker in a fireside chat. His name is... Matt Kalish. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And he's uh, the co-founder of DraftKings, right? So that'll be truly a fun thing to do. I'm really looking forward to the interview. I'm not a gambler myself, but I know plenty of people who are. Our son. Fantasy football. (laughs) Fantasy football. He's really into it. And it's kind of hilarious because he always runs these fantasy leagues. And nobody, especially when he wins, nobody ever pays him, right? Yeah, so. They've already spent the <laughs> pot of money. <laughs> they've already spent the money. Yeah. So at least with DraftKings, you know, you can make sure that you get your cash at the end of the season, right? For those who don't know what DraftKings is, um, I think it's interesting. So you probably have heard about fantasy football, which lasts throughout a whole season. 
the idea of DraftKings is to have kind of less of a commitment just in, and gamble on just one particular game or event. So they have sponsors or partnerships with like the NFL, the NBA, the Major Baseball League, NASCAR. So it's a, it's a cool, innovative way to be interactive with your friends and family when it comes to sporting events. So, yeah, make your way to the New Jersey Technical Conference on April 11th. Sign up, and you'll get to learn more about DraftKings, but also meet a lot of your fellow entrepreneurs. Yeah, and our son might even show up when I told him. <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> he was very excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so we're going to switch gears a little bit here. We're going to talk a little bit more about Conge. She comes to us from SAP Ariba, so we want to talk a little about that. Sure. So SAP is a large enterprise software company. has about 430,000 customers in 180 countries. Um, so it is a company that's been around for years, based in Germany. I'm based here in New York and really just helps businesses run more effectively internally. Uh, we were talking before, Richard and I were at a company in the 90s that implemented SAP, and it was really groundbreaking back then. I uh-huh. guess you said it was SAP and Oracle back then. Yes. Uh, and it really was, it, it tied together all the different aspects of this big chemical plant, which if you think about a business, just think about your own business. You have the accounting, you have the marketing, you have right. the sales. Yeah, so it was very innovative. It's really a company that helps businesses think end-to-end about their business processes. So across 11 lines of business, like you mentioned, HR, finance, procurement, supply chain, and on. And then also in 26 industries. So it really focuses on basically every organization that you can imagine in the world. And you're with Ariba, mm-hmm. which was a small company that was bought by SAP. Yes. Um, SAP acquired Ariba in 2012 um, because it was trying to have more of a presence in the cloud. It used to be in more of an on-premise company. Ariba specifically focuses on procurement and supply chain. And so um, SAP did that to kind of close the gap on its cloud presence um, by adding on procurement. That's great. So, mm-hmm. and what is your role at SAP now? Uh, you're the director of uh, business development. So what does that mean? Yes, good question. I think it means something different in different companies and also within SAP, actually. Um, But for me, it just means how to think about developing new business models and generating new revenue streams. So that means um, looking at acquisition targets, so companies SAP should buy to help close its gaps in functionality or market, Um, helping to set up partnerships that have a revenue share. I also helped um, to work with a new group that formed an SAP called SAPIO. It's a fund that started in 2016. We look for seed and early stage companies um, that we can invest in that will eventually contribute to SAP's ecosystem. That's great. And so one of the things that you do when you're uh, looking at these companies is you're looking at their IP portfolio. Is that correct? Yes. So there's several reasons why we would be interested in another company. Uh, One is if they have intellectual property. Another is if they have um, uh, human resources that have domain expertise. And the third is to um, acquire different types, a different set of customers or market. So, yes, IP is definitely very important. That's great. That's near and dear to my heart, being an IP attorney. We love uh-huh. to hear. We we didn't pay her to say this. <laughs> they haven't paid me yet, yeah. but I'm collecting. We're going to get uh, Yeah, okay. don't worry. Gonna I'm, I'm going to make money out of this some way. So if, if one of our listeners is thinking about doing a tech project, could they go to SAP, someone in SAP, maybe you, and say, hey, does SAP have any real tech needs that are not being filled now that if I started a company and did it really well, they might buy from me? Yeah, um, I think there's several ways. So one is, again, going to the SAPIO fund. Um, they 
They regularly look at companies to invest in. They also have an accelerator where you can they can help you um, figure out you know how to scale and get introduction to customers. Or you can talk to people like me that can facilitate um, the evaluation of a partnership. And what are the steps that you go through to evaluate the partnership? Well, first, uh, you want to understand the scalability of the partner because sometimes you might be great at what you're doing, but can you immediately take on 430,000 customers SAP has? A lot of companies can't right away, right? So making sure that they have the capacity to, to take on a lot of volume. Um, second, that if that is complementary or additive to what SAP can already offer. And then third, that their tech stack will complement SAPs. That's really a, a great perspective because lots of times we work with entrepreneurs who are working with investors. But when you have a large company that you're looking to merge with, the scalability is really one of the key things. Right. What you may be doing is great, but can you really match the needs of, like you said, so many thousands of customers. It's a great problem for a startup to have, right. but you also have to be able to do it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy to do. There are some compromises. So we will do some things, what we call like um, an incubation, where we'll do a pilot with the potential partner, maybe three customers to kind of test the value proposition and see if, if customers are even interested. And if so, we can do what we call like a co-innovation. We might help to actually invest in the startup in terms of giving them resources or development resources so that we can help them scale before they become a partner. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Um, you can email me, kange, K-A-N-G-E dot K-A-N-E-E-N-E at SAP.com. You can also come to our offices. We're based in Hudson Yards. So happy to interact with anybody that's interested. And if you're really interested, you can come to the Venture Conference. Exactly. You can see me on the panel. What is the date of the Venture Conference again? It's April 11th. It starts at 2 p.m. and I think ends at 6. Awesome. And you can go and sign up for the Venture Conference at the njtc.org website. Right. And mention Passage to Profit. You'll get a 50% discount off the price of your ticket. So don't delay. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Kange. Thank this you. Has been this wonderful. Fun. And we'll be right back after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Uh, we're on to the guest portion of our show, and with us this evening is Dan Gartenberg, whose company, Sonic Sleep Coach, has a fantastic app to help people fall asleep. So tell us a little bit about your app and how you can help our listeners fall asleep. Unfortunately, I didn't get such a good night's sleep last night. I was a little uh, <laughs> work, working too hard for my startup, apparently. Uh-huh. But yeah, I've spent the last 10 years trying to make people sleep more regenerative. 
Um, this actually started all the way back when I was in college, back when you could actually make money uh, selling apps on directly to consumers on the App Store. And we were one of the first alarm clock apps. Um, and I had some uh, intellectual property that I actually built around, around that piece of software. I, tr I tried to understand how to accurately measure sleep for a long time. Um, and I eventually came to the realization that a lot of these tools for measuring sleep were really inaccurate. Um, and then I gave up, actually, for two years. And um, at this time, I was also getting a Ph.D. in cognitive psychology, actually making uh, artificial intelligence models of human fatigue. And then when the Apple Watch came out, that sort of reinvigorated um, this idea that I had, which is to actually try to make people sleep more regenerative so that seven and a half hours feels more like eight hours of sleep. Well, that's great. So how did you get involved in this whole sleep world? What motivated you to work on your sleep? You must have had insomnia. Well, I don't know if I had insomnia. I had a society that was forcing me to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning when I was a teenager um, <laughs> when your naturally occurring circadian rhythm is telling you to do the exact opposite thing when you're in that stage of life. And there's actually a name for this in sleep science. It's called delayed sleep phase syndrome. Um, it's basically what happens when you have to wake up really early on the weekdays, and then what a lot of uh, college kids and high school kids will do is go out very late on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually kind of throws off your circadian rhythm, your body gets all thrown out of whack, and you're basically tired all the time. Um, I definitely suffered from this when I was in high school, and I think it always sort of stuck with me. I was also, at the time, my grandma, who's 95 now and she's still a practicing psychologist, gave me... Uh, Carl Jung's Man and the Symbols, and I was really into dreams at that time, and um, I just kind of fell into the world of sleep, and it um, is really interesting, exciting, um, and I think it's one of the final frontiers of um, understanding the human. That's pretty deep stuff. Tell us how your app works and how somebody could use it to get better sleep. We got grants from the National Science Foundation and the National Institute of Health to basically build the most accurate system for measuring sleep that works on any wearable device. Um, and we've what we understand basically better than anyone else is the science of sound. So we like to think of creating ideal sleep journeys or sleep habitats for people um, that create uh, sound environments that relax them when their mind is racing at night, block out noise pollution from things like a snoring bedroom partner, and you'd be surprised <laughs> um, how much a snore will disrupt the sleep partner. I Not don't think Elizabeth is surprised <laughs> at all. <Some> <laughs> so, so we actually call it, um, it's adaptive pink noise. Mm -hmm. So the system will measure the sound in the room and then adaptively block it out. Wow, and I then, want that. Well, is that available right so is, now? Is that like free no, is, uh, for a week. If it works for you, then uh, my whole thing is, look, pay us if it works for you. So wow. it's free for a week. So, so how I go does to, it block it out? Uh, so it measures the sound in the room, and then it gradually ramps up the sound when it detects the sound in the room. So that must have to happen pretty quickly, though, because yeah, a lot of noises are instantaneous. It happens quickly, yeah. But you have to think about, like, for snoring, for example, um, it's a repeated up and down. And basically what we're trying to do is round out those sounds because it's actually not the loudness of a sound that's disruptive to your sleep quality. It's the abruptness of that sound. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of the other 
thing that we're doing, which is something that's really sexy in the sleep literature right now. Um, I can hardly wait. I know. I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to hype up the science. By the way, you do stay awake when you're reading about sleep, right? That's how I fall asleep every night. And this is really something exciting in the sleep world right now is something called uh, deep sleep stimulation. And so when I was in grad school, I worked with the famous professor, Raja Parasurman, who um, kind of did some of the pioneering research on something called transcranial direct current stimulation. Why? Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Is that like where they so, put a chip in your brain and turn you off? Close. <laughs> no, um, actually, the uh, the U.S. Uh, Air Force is really uh, has funded a lot of stuff around this. They're trying to make like super soldiers and stuff like this. But they basically zap your brain with a low current of electricity, and they've shown that you can do better on, on certain tasks the next day. So, Dr. Dan, sometimes I have trouble falling asleep because my thoughts are racing. Is there anything that can do to help people like me? Yeah, so one of the recommended therapies for problems falling asleep is something called progressive muscle relaxation. And we have that sort of relaxation intervention in the app along with binaural beats, meditations, nature sounds. I really like ocean waves. It relaxes me. Progressive muscle relaxation, you basically tense different muscles in your body. And it's nice because it has a physical aspect to it and a mental aspect. And you can actually do it while you're in bed. So that's something that I recommend to some of my clients to try to stop the racing mind, which is, I think, something a lot of people are wrestling with. I'm going to do that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, download the app. How can we we get the app? So it's free on Android and iOS. Uh, It's just if you type Sonic Sleep and... You just Google my name, you can see a lot of the research that we're doing, Dan Gartenberg. So, Dr. Dan, there's a lot of thought and experimentation that's gone into all of this stuff. What about intellectual property? Have you protected this in any way? You know, I have fancied myself an inventor, and we have a granted patent um, called cyclical behavior modification, which is trying to understand people's circadian rhythm. It's a 24-hour rhythm that is a little bit different between people, but everyone has an optimum alertness time and optimum time that they're tired, and it's based on this 24-hour rhythm. Mm. I can articulate mine for you if you're curious. Yeah, Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So I'm kind of what you would call a night owl. Some people are also morning larks in the sleep world is what they call it. Um, And so I'll usually wake up between like 8 to 9, um, and go to b- and be tired at around like 1 a.m. And then uh, I'll have a peak alertness, usually two hours after awakening. That's pretty common. I'll have lunch and then a decline in alertness around two hours after, siesta time. Um, and I'm really a fan in certain situations, um, if you're not an insomniac, of taking a power nap during this time. And then usually you'll have another peak alertness right before dinner, and then you start getting tired again at night. Wow. That sounds like we have an idea. We have the same schedule. <laughs> Especially the sleepy parts. I can relate to that. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years 
years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we are talking to Dr. Daniel Gartenberg. And I just want to say before we get back into our discussion, Dr. Dan came to us through Griffin Petticord, who came to one of our meetups and came and pitched on the show. And he was great. And he has knock brands and OK brands where they bring you a product. You try it for three days. They come and pick it up. You don't even have to leave your house. And then you decide whether or not you want to buy it. Very cool system. But he won the pitch competition on the website. He got the most votes. So that's why he's getting a special shout out on this program. But what really touched my heart with Griffin was on the same show we had Wani and Gracie. And Wani is visually impaired, 11 years old, and he sang a song. And Griffin said to me, oh, just give the $25 gift certificate that I won to Wani for his music career. I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And also, I want to do a shout out to John Rondé who was on the show last week, and he got over 3,600 votes on his project. So it's not quite a Hall of Fame vote level for Passage to Profit, but he did a fantastic job. He had Stu United app, so like Student United kind of, stunitedapp.com, where students tutor each other, so it's like a peer tutoring thing. So, yeah, he had Student United, a peer tutoring application, and so congratulations to John. Kange had a really interesting question for Dr. Dan. Sure. So just um, wondering how an individual would know that they should be um, analyzing their sleep patterns. So, for example, for me, I'm typically tired. I think it's just how life is for me, right? So I wouldn't know that there's even an option for me to get the same amount of sleep in a more productive way. So how do people know that they should use their app? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is really something we focused on is we think that everyone can improve their sleep quality. And when we think about that, we think about three major things, Mm -hmm. sound, light, and temperature. Um, So everyone can improve their sleep quality by Mm -hmm. optimizing those things in their sleep. You don't necessarily have to have a sleep problem per se to benefit from better sleep quality. And so we really have focused on how to make the sleep that you're getting during the night more regenerative um, and basically more deep sleep or Mm -hmm. slow wave sleep which is thought to be the type of sleep that's um, you know, related to human growth hormone, cell recovery, memory consolidation. Our grants are actually through the National Institute of Aging because we're really interested in how sleep functions as a way to reduce conversion to Alzheimer's disease. Oh, wow. um, I definitely am signing up for your app. I might get the one-on-one coaching from you, too. That's so super interesting. How do I get that? I just go to your website? Yeah. if you, uh, I just offer uh, a couple of times a week um, just to under, really understand this problem. I do coaching with, in, with individuals. And it's sonicsleepcoach.com? Correct. Wow. So how much do you think stress affects 
the quality of somebody's sleep. They're leading a stressful life. Yeah. Does that equate to poorer sleep? You are going to have worse quality sleep when you're stressed. Um, and there's a couple of hacks that I have out there to try to address this. Bring um, them on. Yes. One of the hacks I love to recommend is a simple steam room. Um, there's a lot of research showing that it deactivates the fight-or-flight response system, and who doesn't want to go to the steam room, really? Mm -hmm. um, and the temperature fluctuations are also good. I've done something personally recently that I find game-changing, which is turning off all notifications on my phone. <laughs> um, that helps a lot, I think. I do that, Honestly. but then I forget to turn it on and everybody complains. But. I know, but you have to put people in their place. Like yeah. they, need, People need to realize that there shouldn't be this expectation that you respond to them Two seconds Instantaneously, right like away. totally, yeah. and and it's like uh, I I I have my cell phone by the bed, and uh, we're constantly getting notifications, so I turn it off. So right? I mean, I realize yeah. personally for myself, I look at my phone a hundred times a day anyway. I don't need to also get zapped with a little ding every couple seconds. And I think what's happening right now in our society a little bit is we're sort of always in this fight or flight response mode because our technology and our environment is always sort of activating us, even at a low level, at all times. Um, so that's partly why this is such an important problem right now. What about dreams caused by like, post-traumatic stress or having some trauma? I love that question. It's something I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. We'll probably apply for some grants on that topic in one That's of the cool. next cycles. So you do have grants for this research, right? Yeah. Right now, uh, I've been hard plugging away at uh, a grant for addressing insomnia in 65 and up populations because mm -hmm. we think that basically there's a lot of accumulated evidence now that poor sleep quality results in the accumulation of beta amyloid plaques, which are associated with Alzheimer's. Um, so we actually think by addressing insomnia, we can act as a neuroprotective intervention against Alzheimer's disease. I thought that just naturally happened. Every old person I've ever known can't sleep through the night. Yeah, so... By the time, I know the population statistics on this. So, for example, when you're in your 20s, usually your average sleep is like 7.2 hours. By the time you're 80, it gets down to about 5.8 hours on average. And your slow wave sleep, which is the thing that we study in our lab, goes from 20% of the time spent in slow wave sleep to 7.5% of the time by the time you're 80 years old. But when you're older, your cognitive acuity is lower. I mean, So is there a connection between the sleep and the cognitive acuity, or is it just a question of aging? That question is exactly what we study in our lab. And, I mean, there's strong effects where when you sleep-deprive yourself and get worse quality sleep, you exhibit mild cognitive impairments, which mm -hmm. is uh, one of the main things that clinicians look at. So it's not just getting older. And, you know, if you can manage your sleep a little bit better as you age, then you may be able to think a little bit That's more That's the clearly. thought. And I'll just throw out a, a hack for any older listeners that are listening right now is um, when you get older, a lot of times your circadian rhythm flattens out. Um, and that's that rhythm I was talking about before. And that rhythm is controlled by environmental cues, which are called Zeitgebers. Weird word. Yeah. But, um, is that like a German word? It's a German <laughs> word for timekeeper. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, and sunlight is one of the main Zeitgebers. But basically making sure you get that half hour of sunlight before noon every day is one of those simple things that you can do to entrench your rhythm, and that's one of the natural suggestions that I give to a lot of people. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. Hi, 
I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We are at the pitch portion of our show, and our first pitch is by Ethan Kaiser. You have two minutes. Go. 50% of college students do not graduate within six years. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Nearly half of all students who start at a university will actually leave the institution. 25% of freshmen actually leave after their first year. And universities lose millions of dollars in potential revenues from this kind of high uh, dropout attrition, as we say, uh, from these students leaving institutions. And the research shows that most of the students who leave institutions are academically struggling. Um, maybe they come from poorer backgrounds where they are considered low SES. They have um, other challenges in front of them. And we know advising and coaching can help these students. Hiring coaches to support students always works. The problem is that coaching is a very resource-intensive service. It's very hard for a university to hire coaches to support tens of thousands of students. So we built the first artificial coach that can actually analyze students' performance in real time, identify where they may be struggling, and then intervene. And we work with tens of thousands of students across many campuses, and we're growing about 20% month over month at this point. And we can show that our technology is making a drastic impact in the outcomes of these students it's actually helping them complete their courses and being retained to graduation. So it's really exciting, and it has a really good social cause. Tell us a little bit more how the app actually works. You say it monitors and intervenes. Yeah, absolutely. So we tie into the grade book, for example, and we'll look at how the student is performing from a grade perspective, but then our mobile app will actually talk to the student just through natural language, and students can respond to it. They can tell the bot where they're struggling. It's an artificial assistant, kind of like a Siri, if you're familiar with the iPhone, but like way smarter. And um, we can identify pretty early on the risk of this student. We profile them um, based on the behaviors and based on the very suggestions that we look at. And then we try to deploy you know, proactive interventions before they fail that class, before they fail that exam. We can identify some of these risk uh, behaviors and try to intervene by offering them to join a study group or meet with a tutor or um, review some content we found online. And this helps the university deliver their support services that they already offer uh, more effectively and, man and it manages them better. So question, so how do you get the access to students' records? Uh, we work with the institution directly and we have this like, FERPA compliance and in our contract we have to protect the data and certain security policies. Mm -hmm. So we take the precautions in order to get the data we need to make our predictions and engagements extremely effective. So we take these kind of uh, early steps working with institutions. We partner with them so that we can provide the service. Because the institution has this data, they have to have certain privacy laws in place. You know, FERPA protects student data. So we follow the same procedures, and um, we work with the institution directly. But if you're making it customized for the students, I can see how you can aggregate it. But mm -hmm. if you want to know my specific grades, can you do that? Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. And but you have permission to do that based on the university. Absolutely, because we've come a part of working with that institution. We have to fall within the same guidelines, um, and that's how we uh, support the student. And, and one more thing, the point. You know, this product isn't mandatory. Students actually are. They, they have the option to come onto our platform. Opt in. So if they do not opt in or do not use it, um, you know, we don't engage them. I'm just curious. Um, to what extent is the software automated, and to what extent is there a human component? Can you scale it easily, or is there any bottlenecks in that? I would say if you asked me a year ago, scaling was maybe something we were struggling with or having challenges. As you create any innovation, you need to you know first solve a use case, and then you try to scale it. Initially, with our first customer, University of Washington, we were supporting, I think, some 40,000 students. So we had to figure out the scaling problem pretty quickly. Instructors would announce our product in the classroom, and like 700 kids would try to download it at the same time. And like from a technology perspective, this can be challenging. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as scaling goes, um, that's one of the problems we had to solve early on about how can we um, figure out when all these students come on our platform, when they start engaging with our bot, can we make it to be very intelligent? Um, in the early days, I'll admit now on radio that there was sometimes a human behind um, helping the bot learn in real time. And the students would think, oh, this thing's a genius. But sometimes it was actually me or someone else. <laughs> and um, it worked really well, though. And then we trained the bot as the students used the technology. And we, were, we could see what was working. And then the AI is permanently fully automated at this point. Can you tell us a little bit about the AI engine? I'm very curious about what it does and how it works. We built our own AI engine uh, in, in the whole sense of it. Uh, my background was in computer science and artificial intelligence. Uh, my co-founders all have a background in computer science and uh, artificial intelligence. My um, first hire was a data scientist from Carnegie Mellon. So we together were able to create the system ourselves. Um, and it just simply has a proponent to it where it can understand natural language and it does a pretty good job at that. And then um, we then take whatever the intent is, whatever the conversation is about, and turn it into something actionable. And we may deliver resources, content to the student, and essentially we can predict with a pretty strong accuracy what is the best intervention for the students. And I'll give you one more hint. Uh, my co-founder uh, previously worked at Amazon, and we he you know worked on the uh, recommendation engine. It's just a technology, machine learning technique that they use there. So when you buy something at Amazon, it recommends something new to you because you know other people that are similar to you have bought these things. Um, similar concepts apply in education. We see patterns of what would be the right intervention for the student as they're going through their academic career, and we'll recommend the best suggestion for students who have had similar problems, but we identified it, and we could intervene earlier and help them. How long have you been doing this? When was the first study done? Um, so our first pilot was fall 2017, um, and that was with the University of Washington. And since then, we've grown significantly. Um, we've had pilots that started with one semester that I mean, we just signed a deal that was a one-semester pilot that now is a three-year contract. So wow. it, you can show the product efficacy um, just by looking at our growth and kind of the contracts we're doing from a three-month trial to multi-year. You know, institutions will invest if the product seems to have a strong ROI. We sell directly to the institutions. Um, we charge per student um, based on the size of the institution. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a SaaS contract. Usually three-year contracts what we look for, but sometimes they'll do like a piloting phase mm-hmm. built into a larger contract that they can then opt out of, but they've never have. Can I ask what your uh, revenue is, or is that... Uh... I mean, you can ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, the revenue is great. Um, we have raised a little bit of capital, and we're growing. Exactly. How many universities? We work with around less than 15, mm-hmm. but more than a handful. Do you have any success stories right now? Do you have any stats or anything showing that more kids stayed in school or anything like that? So our first like value that we can show to an institution is that whenever we launch at a new term, we see our average of 53% increase 
in students accessing resources that are provided by the university. So every center, every university has a math center, a writing center, various services they offer, and they go drastically underutilized. And the research shows that if the students would just go to these services when they needed them, they would do better. Like, we can see this. Um, and we target the freshman, you know, math, science, hard courses that they uh, have high drop rates. You know, I was just on the phone with uh, University of Florida at Jacksonville, and um, they were explaining to me the issues that they're having with some of the, you know, early courses. Um, and this is across entire industry. These early courses are where the students have the most issues. So we did uh, pilots with University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and University of Washington. And what we can show is that not only were students accessing resources, new students were accessing resources at a higher rate, uh, but they, we, we actually measured their confidence level by um, asking them to take self-reflection surveys at the beginning, mid, and towards the end of their uh, academic journey. We were able to show that not only were the confidence going up of these students, they utilized more resources, um, but we saw, depending on what institution we're looking at, about around a 6% increase in outcomes uh, for the kind of the low performers. So the kids who would have got like 55 and failed the class, they might be passing 65 to 70, et cetera. So the students who were doing great, A's and B students, they didn't really need us that much. Uh, but some of the students who were at that tipping point, we kind of nudged them over the edge to pass the course and move forward with their journey. I think it's great that you have this success story. So very congratulations Thank on you. that. A question, though, if, if you're saying that you're helping these universities have transparency into like the valid of how successful their resources are, then are you worried that you will be absolute as soon as they are smart enough to know that they should just market their services better? It's more than just marketing. I mean, our product doesn't, doesn't just send out like spam messages to students like, hey, go to the resources. It's truly a coach. And it's actually kind of getting into our next step for our business where we're moving to the corporate learning space. Essentially, our technology does say, hey, here's a tutor that can meet with you. Mm -hmm. But it also says, hey three students that I've been talking to all term, why don't you guys meet for a study group at this time? Or why don't you do this? And then as students do various things, it refines how it's going to engage them and gives them feedback. It says, okay, last exam, you did this. Why don't we try this this time? It is a coach giving that feedback loop. We're really excited about the corporate space, which is next for us. That is fascinating. And it really sounds like a great solution to problems that freshmen struggle with, especially. Yeah. So thank you, Ethan. And what is your website again? Yeah, you can find us at studytree.ai. And the company is called Study Tree. Okay, thank you. Yep, thank You're you. listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on WOR 710. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Second pitch this evening, we're going to be listening to Arthur Adams with Best Friend Match. You've got two minutes. Go. <laughs> no pressure. Thank you, Richard and Elizabeth, for having me. Bestfriendmatch.com is a friend site where people from all over the world can meet and make new friends through platonic relationships. 
The site is 85% women, 15% men, and we're right now we have about 1,000 new users signing up per month. Bestfriendmatch.com is profitable via subscription-based revenue model paid weekly and monthly by members. The company has no debt. Bestfriendmatch.com has been targeted by Google as a high-growth potential partner by Google's Growth Accelerator program. We just launched a new app and website. The site is currently pre-money, and we're looking for funding, but most importantly, we're looking for intellectual capital, someone who's familiar with the social networking space and can contribute skill and knowledge. So, hello, if you work at Facebook, OkCupid, or Match.com, come find me. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So how is this different from Meetup? How is this different from Meetup? It's done more virtually, I think. You could operate more from your couch. Meetup tends to have meetings, per se, but this can be done 24 hours a day. Uh, so you can contact other people whenever you like. It's sort of a feel-good startup. It's about bringing people together. I think right now at a time when our country and politics are so divisive, I feel like bestfriendmatch.com can help bring people back together, even if it's just one friendship at a time anyway. I think the best reasons to be a part of this site come from our members. And so what I'd like to do is just read you uh one or two of the profiles to give you just a general idea of how some of the users are using the site. Mm -hmm. So the first one is from Lana, and she says, Hi, I'm Lana. I just moved to South Dakota area, and I'm looking to make good friends. I'm not looking for men. I only want to make friends who I can go shopping, dancing, and movies with. You must be drug-free. I'm not bisexual, so if you're seeking any sexual activities, please don't contact me. I don't know if I want her as my best friend yet. (laughs) Like I said, the site is 85% women, and most of them are already in relationships. This is not a dating app. Uh, It's all about making friends. Uh, If you're familiar with the show Sex in the City, where you have five or six women sitting around a table trading stories, Mm -hmm. that's really more of what uh, this type of app is about. Another profile I have here is from Jessica. She says, hi, my name is Jessica, and I'm on the hunt for some awesome people to share my life with. I've been so immersed with work recently, and I've lost touch with a lot of people, and I really miss the fun times. I love the outdoors, shopping, chillaxing, watching movies, pretty much anything, really. I'm a little shy at first, but once I open up, I'm goofy, fun, and a great friend. Do you have any data on how the connections are working? Is there a lot of interaction between the people who sign up on the website? And do you have any kind of follow-up information about whether they are getting together or how they're getting together? Well, the one thing that's interesting is that uh, we noticed that people will sign up for the weekly subscription, which is $2.95, and that will renew automatically for, say, two to three weeks, and then all of a sudden they'll put it on hold, and then maybe a month or two months later they'll come back and they'll start again. So we think that in terms of uh, meeting people, it happens very quickly because this is a very warm environment where everybody has sort of the same interest. It's not like dating where there's so much competitiveness. I think that everybody's on for the same reason. And so it's it's very easy to meet and make new friends on bestfriendmatch.com. And honestly, I think this is really, really important because we moved around the country a lot and Richard had jobs. I moved with him and I had the kids. So I made friends that way, sort of. But I'm kind of a strange person and not everybody was like like you know me and it would have been nice if I could have found people more like me that I could have you know women that like sci-fi that like football that just maybe don't fit the mold of what you think of as a desperate housewife or whatever I mean it's hard to find people like that I mean you'd basically end up exposed to the people who your kids are friends with the you know their parents right and there's no guarantee that you really have anything in common with them other than your kids play together 
I think this next profile might be even closer to you, Elizabeth. Uh, she says, I work as a preschool teacher. I like being outdoors, hiking, going to the beach, etc. I love movies and then critiquing them after. I would describe myself as a smart mouth weirdo with a kind heart. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> She's calling you a smart mouth weirdo. That's, what, that's, that's the takeaway. No, I'm, I'm in dire. I'm in dire need of some girlfriend of some girls' night out. Trying to make new friends. I lost touch with my childhood friends a long time ago and recently ended a ten year relationship. I just want some cool people to hang out with and have fun. Sounds right. So, can you just paint the picture of how it works? Is it like a dating app where you? can put your preferences in swipe or do you just read the profiles? How do you, how does it actually work when you, as a user? The sign up is just like a match.com or an OkCupid okay uh, where you punch in your location, your age, your uh, preferences, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids. I think, believe it or not, a lot of people that have kids connect on the site because they can relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And you can type in interests as far as uh, hobbies you have, if you like playing tennis or golf or, mm-hmm. or things like that. And then, just basically start swiping. We have a swipe area that, that you can swipe with, kind of like Tinder. But there's also just a general grid site profile search that you can go through and look at all the people that are either in your area or in, let's say, an area that you're going to. If you're going to visit California next week and you don't know anybody in that area, you can certainly go to that that section and just look for people in California that you might want to meet up with while you're there. Is there any uh, intelligence to the matching or do you imagine any intelligence being built into it in the future? Like Matt, I would love to be matched with someone that is actually as weird as me. Well, actually you're in <laughs> luck. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the software okay. does pair you. Actually, what we do is we send out an email every day of new members that sign up. And within that email, it is uh, geared towards people that you've selected. Let's say that you've been selecting a lot of people that are interested in tennis. Well, Tomorrow or the day after, you're going to start seeing a lot of tennis players in your area. So if I'm really in a hurry to make a lot of friends, can I boost my profile? You can, as a matter of fact. I'm glad you asked. And for an extra dollar fifty, we do charge a fee for that. For an extra dollar fifty, you can boost your profile for five days, and you can be at the top of the search grid in your in your area. Your profile will be the first one people see, and you know people do it a lot. They will boost maybe three or four times over the course of a month, and then that's it. I, I Obviously, they, they and meet a lot made of they've enough friends, and they're done. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no more friends for me. Right. We've seen people boost for a week, and that's it. They've got 10 or 15 people to meet up with uh, in their area, and I, I guess that's it. So, yeah, you can do a boost. I think that our users like the familiarity of the app. Uh, it's, uh, we do have a swipe feature as well, similar to Tinder, but uh, the one thing that I can say about this app is that when you enter it, you're in a very welcoming environment because everybody is really looking for the same thing as you. They're just looking for people to hang out with and chill. It's a very warm and welcoming environment, and I think that's why people like it. I was just wondering, do you have people all over the world, all over the country? How far does this go? Right now, we're uh, concentrating on the United States. It's not to say that we don't have people from London or, or Japan or China signing up as well. But our main focus right now is the United States. And, of course, the New York metro area is incredibly popular. So that's great, Adam. Thanks for sharing bestfriendmatch.com. Is the app downloadable as well? Yes. Uh, the website and the app are fully launched at this point. Uh, they've been up for a few months. And like I said, we have about 1,000 new visitors coming on every month right now. And we're looking looking to uh, scale that up uh, considerably over the next six months. That sounds great. So go to bestfriendmatch.com and boost your profile and get a lot of great friends. 
You're listening to Passage to Profit. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer, consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth, Passage to Profit. Now remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. I don't know. Did you like Ethan's better? Did you like Arthur's better? Ethan's was Study Tree, and Arthur's was Best Friend Match. They were both really good. It's a toss-up. You know, we never vote because we can never decide because we get such great people on this show. So Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt, and the best overall vote-getter for the week will receive an Amazon gift card valued at $25. Woo! So, really, we want to thank everyone who participated tonight. We love meeting such creative people, and we feel like these pitches are the a snapshot of the future. We feel like the world's always moving forward, and we're really getting new stuff every time on this show. Before we leave, though, we'd like to ask our special guests, Dr. Den and Kange Kanene, what you thought and any words of wisdom for our listeners. Sure. I mean, I thought both pitches were really good. I think that the Best Friend app, The whole idea is something that's really important to get people out of their shells, basically. And I love the education problem. I feel like when you solve education, you kind of solve everything else. Um, So I thought both ideas were really good. I agree with everything he said. For the education one, I think the idea would just be like partnering with with as many universities as possible, but seeing how you can go through any networks of schools. So for example, in California, you you can maybe go to the the University of California um, channel instead of going to the Berkeley and UC Davis, you know? Um, But I think it's a really cool idea. Best friend match. I mean, I've literally moved every three years since I was 18. And so this is something I would definitely use. So I think it's a very practical use case. Um, I agree with being differentiated. Um, This is something that is probably easy to replicate for people that already have a network. So just kind of being mindful of how to how to make this a very unique experience. Well, thank you. And we would like to thank the people here at iHeart. So our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman our engineer Rob Barretts, and the whole iHeart team. And listeners, don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches, and you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on iHeart Radio with Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York.